Welcome to the One Player Podcast. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 18. Brains! Brains! Welcome back to the show, folks. It's been about two and a half weeks. Um, Not much has been going on here. The biggest news is, unfortunately, we turned out to have a case of strep throat in the house. Myself, my wife, and both kids. Tim, if you're listening, be glad you didn't come by last Saturday. So, with that, I haven't gotten as much time as I'd hoped to it, in terms of anything. Well, actually, I did manage to, to play some Lord of the Rings LCG when I stayed home sick uh, on Thursday. Played a couple games. It was a little hard just because my head was hurting the whole time, but it was generally fun. You know, I've been enjoying that game a lot since I got it. Every time I've played it, it's been interesting. Hello, dog. Please get away from my water. Say hi, Sebastian. Okay, just lick. I'm sorry. Anyway, it, it's been a fun game. Um, it's still kind of, well, when I first talked about it, I said I was not sure how much staying power it would have and because it is sort of collectible. I do find it continues to be fun, especially if you try a new expansion deck. I've been going through and play one exp- one uh, scenario until I finish and then go on to the next and do them in order, and that's working pretty well. Unfortunately, it does tend to make them a bit of a money sink because you got to keep getting more scenarios. Yes, Sebastian? Come up. Okay. Um, Okay, sorry. Dog interruption. I'm not sure where I was uh, before I had to step away and see what he wanted. Anyway, let me just go on. Like I said, I've been playing Lord of the Rings LCG and enjoying it. It's a bit of a money sink. That's okay. Um... I've got some news. I thought I'd go. I've been trying to keep track of all the things I hear that might be worth noting. This is stuff over the last couple weeks. First off, Michael Schott, Schott has released a, a solitaire version of 5 Vor 12 called Lucky Numbers Extra. It's actually a an online version of the game. It's not a solitaire game, but it is by a board game designer, so you might want to try it. It's on his website. If I remember, I will keep. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Next, there's a an interview uh, by, with Shady Torbe talking about uh, Equilibrion, which should be out in the U.S. any day now. It's on the Z-Man website. If you check the news, you'll see it in there. You have to scroll down and find it by the date. Or if you go to the games forum, you'll see I, I posted the, a link to it in the Equilibrium forum. And I'll also try to put it in the show notes. It's very interesting. The most interesting piece of news from that was that apparently that's only the second game of what he hopes to have four games in the series. Third piece of news, there is a game on Kickstarter right now called Dark Aeon Assassin, published by Mongoose. It, apparently it is based on a comic book. Uh, as I said, it's on Kickstarter. They're trying to raise $20,000 for it. It's currently at about 4000 with I think 20, 20 to 25 days left. Check it out. The art looks pretty nice. Uh, the rules are available, but... The, I don't have a large, uh, I don't have a good sense of what the game is like. It, I get the impression you make a character by rolling attributes, and then you keep drawing cards from a deck to ch- to play against a card using your attributes, rolling dice to see if you succeed or fail. No idea how much depth there is to it, since there isn't much example of gameplay or, or those cards you're going against. Okay, there's also another game currently on Kickstarter code called Hoplomachus: The Lost Cities. It is a cooperative game, I believe, where it can be played cooperatively or competitively, and it's uh, one to four players. 
It looks like it's a, a combat game. I haven't had a chance to look it up, read up about it at all. So you'll have to check it out yourself. Again, I'll try and keep links, put links to it. Next, there is an arch cow. I'm sorry, arts cow is having a sale. I thought I was not going to have a chance to tell you about this because it ends on the 14th, for, uh, a sale for cards. Turns out just uh, about two days ago, I got an email. They got another sale going on for cards that just started. And they'll go for a while. I think you get a deck of playing cards for about $8 with free shipping. There's a geek list on Board Game Geek that has uh, quite a few different decks or solitaire games you could order decks for. So worth checking. I went ahead and ordered uh, three or four myself. Looking forward to getting those. And finally, the solo print and play contest appears to have started in that there's now a lot of uh, games being listed in the design forums. So go to BBGG and check those out. There's a, a new solo print and play uh, discussion thread or contest thread, I think. I'll put links to that. Check it out. It looks like there's a lot of activity starting up. It's pretty exciting. There's one that really caught my eye, which is the Shadow over Innsmouth. I've always thought there really should be a, a game about that. There's a, I know there's Escape from, from Innsmouth. But that story could really make a really interesting game without losing much of the original flavor, I think. So I'm excited to see what this is like. That's it for news. So, you know, talking about the Lord of the Rings game and how much money I'm spending on it, I was thinking, is is this game a good value or not? You know, I started thinking about value and how do you define the value of a game? You know, is my Lord of the Rings game worth it? So I came up with a, a list of a, about seven or eight ways you could decide what the value of a game is. And I can just go through those and see what you think. But first, the value could either be subjective or quantified, or somewhere in between there. Um, let me give you an example of a quantified value. The cost. It's an exact number. You know how much a game costs, and you could compare games based on the cost to determine if it's a good value or not. Um, another one, which might be a little more useful, is cost per hour. You know, figure out how many hours you spent playing the game, divide the cost by those number of hours, and that's your cost per hour. The lower the cost per hour, the better the value of the game is. Seems straightforward enough. Of course, you got to keep track of the hours. And the, the thing about doing cost per hour is really, really short games will require more game plays to pay for themselves in a long game. And also, you know, implies you're having that much fun out of the game. You're getting, you know, 10 hours of fun or 20 hours of fun or whatever it is. Less quantifiable, but still sort of quantitative, is the rarity of a game or even its trade value. You know, those are more or less values you can find, but are still kind of abstract because you could determine the rarity by how easy it is to find on eBay. You know, the more rare a game is, the better value you have. Oh, I don't even know how true that is, but the idea is the better value it is just because you have a rare game. And in theory, you could sell it off, and there's a value. Or that's the trade value again. The problem with these, both of these, is really that the trade value, you know, what you're willing to sell or, or trade a game for is not what somebody else is willing to give you for that. So it's hard to find a point in between where two people are going to agree on the value of something. And I could have a game, let's say, oh, Clue. And I think it's pretty valuable when I go and trade it with one guy and he'll say, oh, the most I'll give you for that is a deck of playing cards. That's eh, not much of a value. Somebody else, you could say, hey, look, I got a clue. And say, oh, I love that game. I used to have the game when I was little. Here, let me give you all my uh, 
Combat Commander games for it. I wanted to have two for years, and I just missed that game. The value is different depending on who you end up trading with. Hopefully you pick Combat Commander. And finally, uh, this more subjective ones. Even more subjective than uh, trade value. How cool a game is. You know, it's The Lord of the Rings, I think, has some uh, coolness value in there. I just love Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit stories, so as soon as that game came out, I just wanted to have it. Oh, and because it's a living card game. I really wanted to try that out, so I thought it was pretty cool. So it had a higher value for me than it might for somebody who doesn't really care about the Lord of the Rings. You know, the Star Wars game coming out soon. Yeah, Star Wars is cool, but I don't know. I'm not that interested in it personally. Star Wars doesn't fascinate me as much as it does other people, say my wife. So I I value that game a lot less than other people might. Next is how attached you are to the game. You know, that guy that really misses Clue and traded for it. He's really attached to the game. He values it a lot higher because of that. You know, you're attached to it because you got memories or because... Uh, you went out and got lost in the wilderness and survived with that game at hand or something like that. So, you know, to you it has a lot of personal value. And that's not something that you could transfer to another person. And finally, the funness of a game. How fun is it? Again, it's subjective. There's games I've tried that I have not enjoyed and I've looked on BGG and other people think they're fantastic. So, you know, for me the game was not much of a value. I bought a game I didn't like it. I wanted to get rid of it right away. Somebody else tried the same game and they loved it better value for them and again this ties back into that cost per hour yeah um the game might be really cheap per hour but if you're not having fun that's it's great so you wasted 10 hours for almost nothing as opposed to wasting 10 hours for 20 bucks it's still a waste so so there's my little ranking of the value of a game i'm still not sure where i ranked the lord of the rings living card game in there it's probably, you know, I, I think it's pretty cool, and I think it's a fun game. Not much rarity. It's probably got some trade value. I have not looked at the cost per hour, but let me see. I've got about six, eight expansion decks right now at about $12 each I spent. That's, what, $96 plus uh, the, the box that came out, another 25 so $120, probably about 150 $50 total I spent on the game. I don't know how many hours I've played it. I think I've played about 20 games of it, maybe 25, let's say half hour game, 12 hours. So it's a little more than $10 an hour. Eh, I've had better values. So anyway, just a little random thinking I had the other day. I just wanted to share that with you. I am going to go ahead and go on to the discussion of today's game, which I hadn't mentioned yet, is... The Walking Dead the Board Game. This is the version published by Z-Man Games based on the comic book. Not the other version which is based on the on the show, TV show. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to try and talk about The Walking Dead the Board Game. Probably going to be a little rough as uh, it's been a few weeks since I've played and as I said I've been sick for, for a week here and have not done a great job of preparing for this one, so you know, be ready to cringe. The game was designed by Keith Trallens, Brian David Marshall. It's based on the comic series by Robert Kirkman. Uh, it's published by Z-Man Games, and it comes in a box um, about the same the same size as a Pandemic. And this game comes really packed with stuff. It's actually a little bit hard to get everything to fit back in there after you've opened the game. 
what this game is about, if you're not familiar with the story at all, is apparently the world has been overrun by zombies. Uh, the zombie apocalypse has arrived, and you live in or near Atlanta, Georgia, and are trying to make it to hide out and survive. Okay, let me go ahead and go into the components which you get. First up is the rule book, which is about the size of a comic book and has the look of a comic book, especially when you look at the cover and as you go through it. You know, it's it's obviously not a comic book because there's text and you know formatted text and lots of rules and all that, but it it still does have sort of a comic book feel to it, which I really liked. You get that? You get lots of cards. You get character cards and follower cards and ch what are these called? Challenge cards that you're playing against. You get location cards, which uh, places you have to visit. Encounter cards, which are Sort of the what you're gonna be fighting against. You get a lot of custom dice in three, no, four different colors, and the, the different colors have different uh, result distributions. For the blue dice is a hero dice, red is warrior, green is scavenger, and black is ammo. So you know the red warrior dice is gonna tend to be more successful when fighting against zombies. It's got a lot of it's 216 zombie tokens. It's quite a bit. Bunch of them. They're little round discs, about the size of a dime, I think. There's fatigue markers that you put on your characters. There's a fatigue's basically damage, fatigue. There's a character card, starting character card, six of them that go with the six starting characters. And these are uh, like little mini boards. Each player has has the uh, attributes. So you can keep track of your health and food and that sort of thing that you have. Well, not your health, but your food, the gas, and ammo that you have. There's six plastic bases to put your figures in, your little cardboard uh, pawns. There's a game board, which is a map of the Atlanta area. It's a really neat-looking board, I think. It's uh, all hexes. And a bunch of resource markers, which are the things you're going to use to keep track of how much ammo, food, and fuel you have. And there's follower tokens. One for every follower card, basically. So that's what you get in the game. It said that the board is a map of the Atlanta area, and what you see on it are different. There's some locations scattered around the board. There's starting spaces for the for each of the characters, each of the six possible characters. There, throughout scattered throughout the map, there's little symbols of gas or fuel or food, which if you go or ammo, which if you go to those, you could pick up those things and there's the safe havens that you're trying to get to and then there's also Atlanta in the middle with which only has a couple entries and exits so when you're playing the game generally what you have you start with one of your six characters and a follower and you'll start with three location cards and your goal is to make it to three location cards to finish the game let me tell you what the turn is like each turn here's what the turn is like uh, first, you could spend some of your food to recover some of your fatigue, basically remove some of the damage markers from your characters. Um, next, you could move up to three spaces in any direction. If you move into a space with a zombie, you have to stop and fight the zombie. I believe once you've done that, if I remember right, you could keep moving after that if you have any movement points left. You could actually change your movement from three to four spaces by spending a fuel. Uh, and that will give you an extra movement for the turn. The next step of the game is if you've landed on a space with a resource 
uh, icon on like the food, fuel, or ammo, or location space, you draw an encounter card. Once per resource icon and once for the location. And you do whatever it says. The card will tell you something like, oh, there's four zombies here and you have to fight them. Or if you have a weak follower, you could heal them. Or different things. But it, generally you're fighting is what you're generally doing. A lot of the encounter cards, unfortunately, are really designed for the multiplayer game. And really works best with more than two people. It'll say things like, have a challenge and who's ever willing to sacrifice the most ammo will get a new follower or something like that. So everybody, you know, picks a number and at the same time reveals it and somebody gets a win. So a lot of the cards, I think it was maybe as much as a third of the cards, really don't come into play in the solitaire game because they're, they involve two people, two or more people. Anyway, once you've done the encounter cards, you get rewards if you succeed the encounter. And if you succeed, you also get to do whatever the... The space you're on. So for example, if you're in a space with a resource, you could collect that resource. If you're at a location that you're trying to visit, you could finish that location. And, you know, that's one objective that's gone and done. That's basically the game. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. There's some things that are complicated. Once is, one of them is each time you move, you, you, a zombie stays behind your track. The thing is, as you're moving and, you know, it draws attention to the undead. The fact that there's live and movement and noise somewhere nearby, zombies start uh, coming looking for them. So you're leaving zombies in your trail. And those zombies, you're, you're drawing one of those 206 encounters and placing it on the board face down so you don't know the, the value. The number in, has a number in the counter, and the number is basically how many zombies you're going to have to fight, how many you're going to have to kill. And it can vary for something like between 1 and 12, I think. So that can make the game more challenging if you find you have to backtrack later. Another thing that makes it more challenging is those location cards. To complete a location, they'll tell you, depending on the location, they'll tell you something you have to do to finish it. And the first location you go and finish tends to be pretty easy. It's like, oh, defeat an encounter card. The second location gets a little tougher. Defeat two encounter cards in a row. The third one's even harder. You might say something like, you know, give up three of each resource and defeat two encounters successfully. So you got to do all that in one turn. To, to defeat them and, and you know I don't remember exactly what they are but that's the sort of thing and each location is different what you have to do to speed it so it just gets harder the, the closer you are to ending the game as I said before you have a character and you have followers your character and the followers all different have different abilities in how many dice and what type they roll I'll pull out one of the cards so I could actually tell you names of people from the story maybe you know them Okay, for example, here's Tyrese. He's one of the starting characters. His ability, once per turn, you may reroll any green die. Which is pretty nice. If you get a bad result, just reroll it. Um, he rolls three red dice, so he's combat heavy. But then you might have one of the followers. Do I have all his cards here? For example, there's Chris. He rolls a red die also. And when Chris joins, his ability is when he joins your party, you find two resources of your choice. However, if he's discarded, any player with Julie in their party must also discard her. A lot of these followers, their abilities interact with each other. So I already told you about the encounter cards, right? There's 90 of them. And I told you they each have you make a challenge. Most of them, unless, you know, some of the direct uh, competition between the players don't have your old dice, but most of them do have your old dice. They'll tell you, like, row... 
you know, four baseball caps or kill five zombies. So you roll your dice and, you know, depending on the type of dice you have, you might have better or worse luck with certain challenges. For example, if you're going for zombies, you can want the red dice hitter, combat dice. If you want the baseball caps, or the action, if you're looking for actions, you want action dice. So it depends, you know, how well you'll do, the kind of dice you do have in your dice pool. Other die I didn't tell you about so much is the black die, which is uh, the blam die. You roll that by spending ammo points, and it's going to give you more chances to hit zombies. Unfortunately, I think three of the sides say blam. Let me see. One, two. Four of the sides say blam. If you get either of those, then you you uh, made too much noise and you attracted zombies, and so you put a zombie token on each space around you, including the one you just left, which means that space now has at least two tokens on it. So, you know, that's kind of a pain, but those blam dice are really handy because they tend to do a lot of damage against zombies. So that's basically everything about the game. You know, th there's not a lot to it, but that being said, it's a fun game. Every time I've played it, it's, it's very thematic. Like, I haven't read the comic books, but it definitely feels like I'm out there fighting zombies and going around the Atlant greater Atlanta metro area. The board's really nice. It's a map of the area. A stylized map, but, you know, you could see roads on the map and that sort of thing. I did find the game fun as a sol solitaire game but a bit fiddly. Especially the solitaire variant that comes with the game. And, and on that one you just have to finish by reaching the three locations and how well you do depends on how many followers you have. There isn't any actual you know, get five followers to have a complete victory or sort of, that sort of thing. Just try and get as many as you can. You know you start with one and counter cards generally give you more. I think that's the main way to get more. Maybe the only way. But the problem with that scenario is you could finish it without bothering to go back over your track at all. So you're placing all these counters on the board every time you do the space for nothing. Of course, if you do that, you end up not having too many followers when you finish. Next time you play, you can only do better. You're probably going to have to end up crossing your tracks a little bit more as you go to more locations. And go to more encounters, hoping to get more more followers or... What are they called? They're called followers. Sidekicks? Lackeys? No, oh, they are called followers, sorry. Now, a nice thing that this game, if you go look on Board Game Geek, there's at least two or three solid scenarios. I think there's a couple more if you look through the uh, reviews and that sort of thing. And they're all they're all a little different. So I tried the one that came with the, the game, and I tried one called The Alone Strain, a solo variant work in process. And I like that one. It was more challenging because you were fighting more zombies. But it also took a lot longer to play. You know, the, the basic scenario, the more followers you get, the easier it gets. After all, it's just, you know, there's no challenge in it. You, you can know you're going to win just about every single encounter. This alone strain was harder because you're always short on resources. And to actually finish the game, you, you have to have a certain amount of food, I think, or resources based on how many followers you have. So if you get too many and it gets easier, you still got to go out and keep looking for resources. So it was, it was interesting. It was different. That's one thing I like about the game. There are a lot of variants you could try. And they all have a little bit of a different feel. Uh, you know, some are going to be shorter, some are going to be longer, some are going to be more complex, some are easier. That's just not true. They're all generally, from what I saw, not that complex, which is kind of nice. It's an easy game to play. The bad thing about that, on the other hand, was it did get a little tedious after an hour and a half of a single game.
Um, also, finally, I think really the game works best probably as a four-player game. I played solo and I played a two-player. Even in the two-player game, we didn't really end up crossing our, each other's tracks, if I remember right. And a lot of the uh, event cards or encounter cards that were for multiple players ended up not being that interesting with just two. Not They weren't that dynamic. I think with four, you'd have a much better time about it. You could play up to six, and that might work, but it also seems like they could slow down the game a little bit for everybody. Though I bet you'd end up fighting a lot more zombies. There you go. That's my thoughts on the game. It's a fun game. It's fairly... I don't know. I'm not sure if I would buy this just for the solitaire gameplay. Definitely not for the retail price. My friend got this for $10 at a... I think he said at a convention or something. I'd definitely pay that much for it. Again, it's, it's a very thematic game, easy gameplay, and fun. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you would like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected by a Creative Commons license. The song and copyright information can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published in the Creative Commons, non-commercial, share-alike license. Thanks for listening.